That'll do it. Hey, Nora. Hey, Sandy. Hi, Toronto. Hey, what is up, Toronto? Oh, oh. it's so good to be home. Oh, my God. When was the last time we did this in Toronto? Uh, this morning. Okay, so she's, like, showing you behind the curtain. Okay. Uh, the last time we did this in Toronto was at the Tarragon Theatre in 2019. Anyone was there? Who was there? Hey! That was an amazing show. Uh, this is going to be an amazing show. And, um, you know, we, like, there's not much news going on. So we thought tonight or today we would show you our Mariah Carey duet. Oh my God. We actually do do a Mariah Carey duet in karaoke often whenever we're at karaoke. So at one point, at some point, we'll do a live show in Toronto where we finish off with karaoke so that we, people can experience that. Because it's actually, it's, it's really good. It's, good. it's always it's really been my good. baby. Hard yeah. song to sing. We're both very talented. It's, it's really good. Um, but uh, I, yeah, I don't know about you, but I have been um, very anxiously uh, consuming the news over the last little bit. It's been, um, it's been very difficult to, to take it all in and to sort of like figure out like, like my embodied feelings around like all the things that I'm nervous about, all the things that are happening. And so, you know, uh, how we deal with that stuff is, um, you know, there's many strategies, but one of that is to, to have discussions and to talk about it because it's the discussions that hopefully, hopefully push us forward. So we are going to talk about it tonight. But we're not going to just talk about the issue of what's happening in Palestine um, in the same way that you can just see it online. I think there's like another sort of conversation that we can have about it, which is like, holy crap, like what are we supposed to do? Like what do we do? right now? What do we do in this moment? And what are we doing that might not be it? Mm. And how can we shift that a little bit from where we're at? And, you know, that's where, that's where we're thinking of going today. Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, it, I, I feel, I'm, I don't know how many of you feel the same thing, but I feel like I felt when I was tied to CNN in the aftermath of 9-11. You know, watching the news over and over, uh, a little bit different. I don't have 100 people telling me to go to hell or to die or whatever online. That's, that's a new innovation. Thank you, Internet, for that. But, you know, one of the things that has struck in me is that because Israel's response has been so rapid that mourning the victims of Hamas have been, has been hard because we didn't have any space, right? It was like instant this, instant that. Whereas I think about in, 20, in 2001, like the invasion of Afghanistan, I mean, that took six weeks, right? And, um, and I think that that rapidity of, of witnessing what's happening and because we can see it in real time 
is really messing with a lot of people's brains. And, you know, Sandy was saying that we've got lots of different strategies to talk about this stuff or deal with this stuff. One of my strategies, as you know, is to be extremely funny. And it's really hard. Like, there's nothing funny about this, which is, like, not good for me yeah. when I want something to be funny. Um, so we will try to make you laugh a little bit because we don't want you to leave upset and sad. Um, but, like, understand that underpinning everything that we're saying is, you know, we believe in humanity and the, and the sacredness of human existence and justice, right? And so everything from the children who've died to the journalists who've died to the adults who've died to the elderly people who've died, it goes from top to bottom through, like, through us both. And, uh, and, we, and we try to go from that place into making sense of this. And, you know, the reaction that we've received from, from folks on the last uh, two shows now or so, or maybe the one show in the, in the Daily News podcast, I, I can feel that there is a need to hear this kind of analysis and have the sense made of, of what's going on. Yeah, I mean, what's what's quite interesting is that, like, there's this sort of official way that people are allowed to respond, like, out in the world, um, which is, like, you know, really sort of uh, controlled by uh, what feels like, like the official government line. Like, you can only be um, uh, upset in this way if you say this first, if you, if you do these things, um, this is how it has to be. But as people who, like... Um, don't have as much to lose, I don't think, in terms of saying stuff. So, like, our risk-taking... I mean, I work for myself, and so does she. So, like, <laughs> it's like, you know, our risk-taking is is less than some other people might be. We're able to just say what we really think. Um, the, the response from folks in the back end is that people are like, thank God, like, many, many people, hundreds of people. So that means that people are wanting to say this and are feeling like they can't, which it means that we're in a really, really difficult and dire place. Because, gosh, if you can't say, you know, like, uh, fuck genocide, or like the, hmm, this situation where it appears as though two million people are going to be starved, starved out of, like, where they where they live, like, of their homes with nowhere to go, with these evacuation orders, where it's like, evacuate to nowhere, like get to this border crossing, it's closed. If you can't say that that's fucked up, like what, what like fucking world are we living in? It's absolutely atrocious and I know you all know that. So here's what I wanna talk about. I am gonna tell you what's been frustrating me about what I've been watching over the last week and as you may know, I don't tweet like she does. <laughs> I don't Shame. tweet at all. I don't think <laughs> I don't think I've tweeted in like uh, five or six months or something like that. I'm just like so sick of the internet in some ways and what it's done to us. And um, I think it's uh, I think it's really bad for organizing and I think it's bad for our thoughts and how we interact with one another. And so I've had to like pull myself away because um, I just I can't I can't like participate in that and then grapple with it as well. It's just it's too much for me. Uh, but I watch it, I look at it, I'm on Twitter all the time. <laughs> I'm just like, what's happening? Because I need to know like, how people are talking about things. And I am going to tell you what I'm really frustrated by. I think, you've heard me rat rail about the internet before on the podcast. I really think, like, it's like so stark right now 
how we think, or like the internet has tricked us into thinking that saying something is doing something. Sorry. Yeah, I hear you, girl. Yeah, it's like saying something is doing something. And then so what do we all do, right? Like, you know, I get people in my DMs who are like, it'd be really great if you said something right now. And I'm like, I did, like on my podcast, but it's like not the only thing that I could do. Like, I have to put out a statement on Twitter? Me? <laughs> what? I'm, I am, I'm not a politician. Like, I actually... Yet. <laughs> oh, settle down. <laughs> Settle down. I'm not a politician. I don't have that sort of responsibility to people. Why would I put out a statement? But then, you know, like I'm scrolling through Twitter, I'm scrolling through Instagram, and it's like, you know, Instagram shows you like things that it thinks you want to see. And I'm like, I get, you know, Carrie Washington, scandal is great. Uh, Carrie Washington comes up and she's put out a statement. And I'm like, uh, like, great. I hope she's doing other things too. Like, sure. Saying things is cool. But then the, the thing is, the thing about the saying things and thinking that that's all that needs to happen is that, okay, people put their energy into, Sandy's not saying something. Sandy, say something. That's a place you could put your energy into. I'm sure there's other places you could put your energy into, though. That's good. And then we like look at the statements and we're just like, this statement doesn't go far enough. This statement does. We need a better statement. Are you condemning that statement? Fuck you for condemning the statement. We need a better statement. What's missing from this statement? And it's like, oh my God. Is that all we have? Is that all we've got? Is that it from the ground that we're just saying stuff and critiquing the stuff that people are saying and saying stuff ourselves, and just declaring, I am on this side. We have got to do better by folks. I, I don't think that's enough. That makes me really, I don't think I'm that impotent. I don't. And I don't think collectively we're that impotent. I can't believe that that's all we've got. Well, and you linked this to the internet, partially. Yeah, fuck the internet. You know, like... And, and, and we don't want to talk about war all night. Like, we want to touch a lot of different issues. And I think that this is exactly the way to get into it. Because the internet is words, right? It's text. It's us writing something either super well thought out or not at all well thought out. I mean, not in my case. But we, <laughs> you know, it's, it's all about the statement and not even the statement on whatever, but like the statement I am making, the statement about my lunch, the statement about my friends, the statement about my politics, the statement about my feelings. And we've been tricked for about a decade into believing that stating things is activism, right? All you have to do is tell the world that you've been sexually assaulted and you will be liberated from that sexual assault, right? And it's like, yeah, like, yeah, you can, sure, for sure, we should talk about this stuff, for sure, sure. Like, make a statement, comment, right? But it's not activism. It's not activism. And a statement on behalf of an organization, on behalf of the Prime Minister of Canada, is so different than someone reacting to something, seeing something in the news and being like, I disagree with this, I think this, right? I'm just, I'm just, a, I'm just an average person, I'm just saying stuff. And somehow we've like imagined that that's how like Justin Trudeau also makes statements, you know? 
Like, we can say that guy hasn't gone far enough. I mean, he needs to fucking stop it all, right? <laughs> but, but this idea that, that activism passes through writing things, uh, supporting things, condemning things, is so, I mean, I, it's, I think it's irritating. Yeah. It's the most irritating thing in the world because, you know, when, it, when it's an issue that matters like this one, then, then literally statements become weapons. Like, you, you know, your statement was really bad. I'm going to hit you over the head with this bad statement. Or this statement is really great. Why can't we do it like this? But what we forget is that there's always something to be done, Right? And if we're focusing on the words, if we're focusing on the positions, then we're not doing anything. So here's an example. You know, you're all here right now. So none of you right now are in Hamilton, Ontario, right? What's going on in Hamilton right this minute? Any peak convention, right? Okay, sure. Yeah, you got a convention. It's all good. Um, that's the root word of convention, by the way. Oh my God. And one of the motions that they're considering is be it resolved that the NDP opposes public money being used for pro for profit private care. Yeah, okay, yeah, it's good. But like, uh, fuck, sorry, folks, was that not on the books before? Is this a new position? Are you undoing an old pro for profit private healthcare position that you used to have? Or are you wasting people's time so that no one actually talks about what's going on? Are you wasting people's time so that no creativity from the floor saying, hmm, you know what, actually, let's, let's start setting up our own clinics in different communities ourselves. Let's, um, let's actually go and barricade the, the offices of the health minister and actually make some demands, you know? Let's actually do some things. But it's like, no, no, no. If you stay on this very tiny plane of what is allowed and what is allowed is you can say that you are opposed to things, it keeps us in two places. One, it keeps us in the printed word where things are very controlled. And then two, it forces us into binary thinking. Binary thinking where it's like, I want to do this thing, and someone says no, and it's like, but I want you to say yes, and then they say no, and we complain about how we want them to say yes, and it just feels like we're stuck in this loop. But nothing real is happening. Nothing real. Like, I, I remember when, when we chatted on Sunday or Monday of this week when we were uh, recording the podcast, I was like, you know, I'm, I'm impressed by, I am impressed by Cori Bush and uh, Rashida Tlaib because they have put out these statements that are really great. They put out these great statements. And then as I was thinking about that during the week, I was like, they could put forward motions, actually, about a BDS campaign, about boycott divestment sanctions. They have the type of power that some of us don't have uh, to, to like ask the, like, the people in power to say, okay, we will no longer uh, procure this, that, the other government services from Israel as a result of. They can do that. That is a something that is beyond the statement that can happen. And that can happen here, too. Like, 
you know, we our politicians haven't made great statements. There's not there's not like a, a level of like there's that's not hasn't been happening. But what we should be pushing for is not just the statement or supporting statements or whatever. It's it's the it's the actual stuff. Like, sorry, we elect them and they have power to do shit. Uh, like we we should be demanding that they do shit. That's what we need. And even from us on the floor, you know, like I signed um, an artist statement recently that is being signed by hundreds of people uh, across the country on what our position is. Thank you. Um, but I mean, signing a statement isn't isn't that much. It's not that much. But what happens after you sign the statement shouldn't just be putting it online, being like, hey, I signed the statement putting it on Twitter like, hey, I signed the statement. You then use that as the justification to demand that the people who can do stuff about this, whether they are government or your union or your church or your organization that can put money towards supporting uh, an organization that can put money to that can help a journalist in the way that they need to be supported whatever it is because sometimes we don't know what it is sometimes we have to actually call and find out and that's an action that we can do what it is that is actually going to help but my god this statement is such a deflection it's such a distraction and I, you know, I don't want to just be uh, too glib about this because it is important to be able to say what our position is, but it has to be a starting point. It can't be the end point. We can't stay there. We, 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 we put the statements out. We do the education work, absolutely, to people who maybe not, haven't thought about this stuff as long as we have. And I mean, this is applicable to this issue and to every other issue that is like driving us into the ground collectively every fucking day, right? Like we put the statements out, but we have to be creative enough to think of the next step. It's what every generation before us who has changed the world has done and we can't be the one generation to be like ah fuck it we got twitter so <laughs> at least we can talk on there you know like that's just not good enough it's not good enough well and it's actually funny too because think about like 1920 okay right um sure yeah yeah so <laughs> you got you got that in your mind and your group has come up with a statement and what do you do with it? <laughs> yeah, you go to the town square and you'd be like, I <laughs> say this in your flapper dress, I guess. Like, I don't know. Yeah. Right? Like, it, it would see, it's ludicrous. Uh, like, yeah, just take yourself out of 2023, put yourself in another era, and, you know, do as much thinking and talking as we do about a statement. And then that's it. Like, laughable. Laughable. Like they, they would literally put like the statement on a sash and then they'd put the sash on and then they'd do Something activism, else. right? So, you know, this is, you, you all listen to the podcast. Actually, who in the room has never heard our, our podcast before? Cheer. Yeah, oh, yeah. put your hand up. It's okay. Yeah. <laughs> I know. I know that it happens. Yeah, because like we, we did a Montreal show last year and someone was like, I've never heard of you and I, and I got dragged here today. And I was like, that fucking rules. Um, but, you know, if you have heard an episode, like, you know what we think in this stuff. Like, you're probably like, fuck, you're talking about statements tonight? What the fuck kind of topic is that? <laughs> I, wanted, I, was, I wanted to hear about the NDP. No, no one's saying that. <laughs> 
Um, but you know, what is very interesting though is, is, is because we are, we are corralled to be on this online space and we are corralled to have our act as the sum total of our activism be statements and motions and policy announcements and manifestos, the shit that is really easy actually. And then, you know, maybe you'll debate about the placement of a comma or what order are you going to make a condemnation or are you going to just talk to this issue? Is it going to be more broad or are you going to be more narrow? Fine. Those are fine. Like, whatever. Debate that if you want. But it's, it is, <laughs> it's not action. It's not doing stuff. And we have been, we've been tricked into thinking that it is. Because the second that you actually try to do something, people freak out. People yeah. fucking freak out, yeah. right? And it's like, I'm talking doing something like fucking, I don't know, I don't even like, well, we can talk about the NDP convention and the, the, the tiny little rally that they had today. And that freaked people out that there was a couple of activists that wanted to talk about Palestine. They wanted to get on the agenda and the leadership freaked out and they, they locked the door. They wouldn't let anyone from inside the convention go out to the rally. They called the police. They called security. They bounced these guys, make it very, very clear that there's no discussion about Palestine at all in the NDP. And it's like, the fuck, man? It's on everybody's mind. Like, let people talk about it. Let people talk about it. Let people actually struggle around. Okay, one of the demands, which of course this would freak the party out, is the NDP liberal sucking and blowing agreement <laughs> is, <laughs> is off, right? I love that because you can't suck and blow at the same time, right? <laughs> Just can't do it. Uh, that the agreement is off unless the liberals... Uh, support certain things about the liberation of Palestine. Like really basic stuff, really basic stuff, right? And, and the leadership's like, holy shit, we can deal with statements, but eight people, 10 people, 20 people, I don't think it was that many people, like doing something is too powerful for us. That's fucking weird and that's threatening. And we need, to, we need to shut that down. And we're not just gonna shut it down, we're gonna shut it down violently. We're gonna bring the police in here to shut it down. Like, are you kidding me? Yeah, and so, and like, in that situation, it's like, okay, so then what's next? What's next? Well, let's get as many people as possible. Like, if I was there, I'm not there. I'm here, thank God. Um, but if I was there, you know, like, maybe, okay, great, let's try to get as many people at the convention as possible to sign on to this statement. Let's try to get as many NDP members as possible who are not at the convention to sign on to this, sorry, not statement, but demand for action. And then if the NDP is still like, uh, no, we do not listen to our membership and base, okay, great. Now we go to uh, our electeds and our writings. Okay, great, so uh, Joel Harden, we have this many people from the riding who are demanding that this is what, this is the position that the NDP take, and this is what you call for, and this is how you move forward. Get, get people on board, like this is action, this is stuff that you can do, this is like, this is, this is beyond a word, a rhetorical play that just sees us like, it's really about us. It's like this really individualistic thing, right? It's like we all are on the internet, so we all have to have brands and be treated like politicians, even though, except the politicians, they don't have to be treated like politicians because that's too risky. It's just the individual people who have to be treated like politicians. 
doesn't make any sense. And like we're all brands, and so we're like, my brand is that I, in in the face of genocide, am against it. Okay, I mean, <laughs> great brand, useful, I suppose. But if we could like get off this sort of individualistic train for a second and actually see what we can do by getting together collectively to to make something happen, to demand that something move forward beyond our fucking selves, which is kind of what the internet does that is like really ugly, is that it makes us, it makes us these individual units. And we know for so many reasons and for everything, like God, if you're listening to the podcast then you are hopefully as someone who thinks of themselves as somewhat progressive or you fucking hate Nora, um, one of those two things <laughs> is true. <laughs> And then hopefully... <laughs> Not possible. <laughs> and then, I mean, hopefully you know, like, what a closed door, what a dead end it is to exist as individualists. I mean, we just went through a pandemic where we like globally got told like we are not individual, like as human beings, we don't exist as individuals. We exist in our communities, we exist, like our public health is tied up together, our education is tied up with one another, our freedom, our liberation is tied up with one another. It, we cannot exist as individual people and the internet continues to peddle that lie. And the way that we've been interacting with each other, with the medium of the internet as our way of, of interacting with one another, God, it just, it just perpetuates that lie. It really, really perpetuates that lie. And it's, I think it's really, it's really dangerous. It allows us to watch this thing coming at us. We've watched it for decades. Mm -hmm. We've watched it coming at us for decades. And I just, we haven't done enough, we haven't done enough in the years, uh, as we get closer to like 2023, the, the years preceding today, and it shows. And in some ways, we've like lost the ability to collectively think harder about how we do more. And it's just, it's really painful. And uh, I think we, like it's painful on so many levels in that like watching it is like, God, this is depressing. But it's also painful in that like the consequences are super, super real. Mm -hmm. Because we can't have impact. And so, I mean, like, we're going to try to have impact. That's what we're here doing is to, tr to try to tell people, wherever you are, you know, there's a way to, to have impact beyond a statement. And I think, it's, I think it's not only worth it to do that, I think we all have a responsibility to try. Yeah, and to go outside of where we normally are. You know, I've taken some shots tonight at the NDP, but just as easily should be going after the conservatives, right, individually. We should just as easily, even more so, be going after the liberals. Collectively, the government. Nora. Collectively. Thank you. <laughs> we, we need, well, because they only understand co collectivity because that's who elects them, right? And so it's like, so who are we targeting and what are the collective structures that we have to make someone's life hell, right? <laughs> Frankly. And so, you know, you can think about it in a small town, and a small town and a small town mayor, and it doesn't take many people to come together and strategize about, okay, like, you know, we know Jim the mayor is afraid of snakes, so like, let's just put fake snakes outside of his office and just fuck with him, right? Why not? Like, that kind of shit's really fun, actually. Um, I think, I've heard, I don't know if I fuck with people like that, but I could, I'd like to. 
Um, and and so you know, but and maybe it's like in a small small situation like that, it's easy because you're like, oh yeah, everyone knows each other, each other. It's a small group, a small. But it's not much different in the city of Toronto, where you've got Olivia Chow like massively sucking, right? Like just sucking so fucking much. And you're like, whoa, that was faster than I thought you would be totally sucking, right? And so like like who's protesting her? Who's Who's making her uncomfortable? Who's pounding her progressive staff who should fucking know better? People who we know, who if you're hiding with a mustache in this room, like, I don't think they probably, they should be here. They're probably not here, but we could, we could also message them, so yeah. I do, do message yeah, okay. some of these yeah, people. Yeah, me too, me too, me too. But we're individuals. <laughs> yes. Right? We should do it together, collectively. We should do it together. <laughs> It's true. Uh, but we have to bring, we have to do these things together because, you know, like we sit back and we look at someone like Doug Ford and it's like, that guy's not going anywhere, right? The NDP's not strong enough to kick him out. The liberals are in complete chaos. They're about to elect Bonnie Crombie. It's going to be a more right-wing party. Oh, sorry, I know. It's so sad. Well, sorry, check this out. Hey, Sandy, you know, it's either Bonnie Crombie or Yasser Nakvi. I know. I, you know, on the balance of things, I mean, ask us about this at the bar afterwards, but I choose Yasser Nakvi. I, I mean, yeah, I would, choose, I would choose to get ill that day and not <laughs> vote, okay? <laughs> like, but yeah, Yasser is, we know Yasser. We, we knew him some, at some point in our lives. He's fine-ish, but like, whatever. He's not winning. He's too left-wing, which is not real in the Liberal Party. But, you know, like... Creating these, these, these groups to be able to put pressure on people so that we can actually take down a government is, is so necessary, but it's also possible. And when you look at someone like Doug Ford, like, he's not going anywhere. He's not going anywhere. It's like, we know that educational workers almost toppled Doug Ford. 100%. Right? There's not a doubt. They almost did. And they didn't because labor took out its shotgun, pointed it at its feet, and fucking fired right? And not labor the union that was on strike, but other folks in uh, that union, right? So, like, look to Quebec. Look to Quebec, where the students took down a majority government because it was sustained buildings, sustained protests in every single college, in every single university of the province, and they wouldn't relent, and, and, and you know, they knew, they know the culture well enough in that province that they could get certain celebrities to be on side, they could get certain high-profile individuals to be on side and make a big deal about this. They knew. Now, you're in Ontario, and I don't know how much you are like so obsessed with the Ontario identity like I am, that waspiness that we just can't shake. Doesn't matter if you're so not a wasp, you still are when you move here. Which, by the way, is something they were saying in the 1800s. They're like, yeah, something about all the immigrants that come here become wasps. It's like, yeah, that's so weird. In 1830, they were saying that. It's like still the case. But there is parts about this province that we know can be impacted, like the green belt, mm -hmm. right? And, and, it, and it just takes the formula, it takes a certain amount of strategizing, but what it mostly takes is us getting in a room together and figuring it out. And that has been very difficult under COVID, obviously, but it's the only way. And if we can remove ourselves a little bit from online in terms of like, I'm like, I'm not going offline, obviously. But like, that's not my, like, when someone asks me, like, what kind of activism do you know? I'm like, well, I'm on Twitter fucking 12 hours a day. Like, no, that's pathetic. That's not activism. I wouldn't say that, right? It's, if anything, it's embarrassing, but. It's embarrassing. It is. But I'm self-actualized, and I don't care about being embarrassed. 
right? <laughs> Uh, so, you know, we have to build those structures to be able to put, put, put the fight to our politician. That is a great place to end. But I do, I do have a question for you. For me or the crowd? <laughs> no, for you. <laughs> okay, so this is our second show today. We did a show earlier. Uh, Opsu sponsored us to come here and, and do a live show with their folks. And you told a big story about snakes. A big, like, hypothetical about snakes this morning, what's going on with you and snakes today? What is, what is this? What's happening? I'm afraid of snakes. <laughs> when, I, when I have to think of something off the cuff of like, what would be the, the, the worst thing in the world? Snakes. It's fucking snakes. Like, I don't know if you know this, but like, I, I understand, I don't know much about Alabama, but I understand that if you like are out on like a, like a river or a creek in Alabama, and you're like too close to the, sh the shore. Do you know this? Fucking snakes fall out of the trees. No, no, I didn't. I <laughs> did not have that knowledge before this moment. Thank right? You. And I, I mean, I have a friend who's from Alabama, so she's like, oh yeah, yeah, you can't, you can't boat along the shore anywhere in Alabama. You gotta be in the center of it, or else snakes, literal motherfucking snakes. Like, fucking falling on your head. I'm sorry. Like, this morning, the hypothetical was like, if you don't like snakes and you don't want to, like, uh, organize about snakes, organize about lambs and leave the snake people to the snakes. And I was like, what is happening? <laughs> anyway, with that, John, could you please come back up and bless us with some music? And we'll uh, let the people contemplate snakes and lambs or think whatever is going on in Nora's head fucking, right now. Fucking think about it. Snakes, guys. It's not good. <laughs> Uh, my name is Mike. Um, my question, I guess, starts with a small uh, anecdote about uh, activists in Toronto. At one of the protests last week, um, I was talking to someone from Socialist Fight Back, and then after that happened, uh, one of the guys from the Socialist Action, I think the people on Davenport, there's many of them, there approached are. me and was like, oh, what did they say to you, huh? And they were, like, grilling me about, like, what did this person say about this group and this person say about that group? And like, yeah, right, your face, exactly how I felt inside. Yeah. Yeah. And so what I want to know from you is, I mean, not necessarily, you don't have to have an answer. We can talk about this collectively. But how do we go about organizing when even the groups that are there to get us are being as individualized as you're saying we are on the internet? And they're like, no, we're the way, no, we're the way. And it's like, fuck off, let's just burn it all down and start afresh. And, like, why we can't get this action going is beyond me, and I really, yeah, that's, that's what I'd like to know. Just yeah. a small, little, you know, Just little, a tiny, tiny question. question. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Factionalism. So I think that this can be summed up by uh, talking about fighting over crumbs. We have very little on the left, and people are fighting over the tiniest crumbs, right? They're fighting over who's got the best political analysis, the best social analysis, how right Trotsky was, or is, right? Because he was right. Um, and, uh, <laughs> and a lot of these groups, uh, you know, it's, it's tough because people ask all the time, like, Nora, I'm, 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 I want to get involved. Like, what are the good socialist groups that I can get involved in? And I don't want to disparage any group. I have very strong opinions of all of these groups. Very strong. And I have not been members of any, any of the groups that were just mentioned. Um, and so I often say to people, like, if you go and the vibe is fucking weird, 
don't go back. <laughs> you know, you don't have to torture yourself if the vibe's not that not good. And if you do go to one of these groups and the vibe is good, that's great. But, you know, we are so damaged on the left that obviously the damage is going to be seen in how organized and productive these groups are, right? Um, and so I think that, you know, for sure a city the size of Toronto, there's enough space for factionalism. When you go to like Peterborough or Sudbury or even Ottawa, the left is so small that you have to work together. Anarchists have to work with socialists. Um, and we're, and because like we are so weak that it turns into not much more than cosplaying, right? Uh, cosplaying socialism. So I would say that like, you know, on one hand, if you're looking to learn about socialism and you're learning to get to a reading group, these groups are great for reading groups and great for collective study of texts and stuff. But people always are surprised when they say like, I'm trying to get involved in radical action. Where should I start? I tried here, it didn't work. I tried there, it didn't work. And I say like, well, maybe you shouldn't be seeking out radical action. Maybe you should be seeking out like a local issue you care about. And maybe that issue is like the dog park or something that's totally not radical. Because if you are practicing organizing, you don't have to do radical organizing all the time. To organize to get a dog park, which is not radical at all, and dogs, no offense to dog people in the room, but like, what the fuck? <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I, you know, it, it teaches you stuff anyway. And if we get too into the, into the inside politics of, of, of the inside politics or inside baseball of socialist movements, I mean, you lose, you lose the, the score because frankly, these groups are not, they're marginal now, right? It's not, it's not the 1970s where if you were a Maoist or you were a radical socialist or whatever, these groups that meant something and there was enough people for it to not be like some weird guy's birthday party all the time, right? And that's kind of where we are today. So... You know, rise above the factions. If folks in this room are members of Marxist Fightback, I mean, your posters are everywhere. That's fucking great. That's really great. You know, like, I'm, like that's totally great. Um, but know that, you know, if we're looking for a parliamentary option, yeah, the communists are kind of fucked. Like, and they kind of always have been, like, from the beginning of time. But know that history and know the, 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 the unfucked things that they've done and the really great things that have brought to, uh, to, to Canadian uh, partisan politics thanks to the Communist Party. And maybe that's not the solution right now. Maybe we need to build outside of these groups. And actually, frankly, what we need is, 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 is socialist organizing that is of this time and that isn't of a different time because there's a lot of things that I think are from a different generation. I'm not tapped into what's happening with these groups right right now but i know a little bit of history from like the 2000s and the early 2010s and i i've always been kind of struck by how we focus on each other um, um not necessarily these particular groups but just groups generally there's a tendency to be like okay let's focus on uh this progressive group and call out like the things that are bad or deficient here based on our particular principles and I think that we do that because it's like easier to, to, to like have some sort of impact. It's easier to touch them. They're like closer. It's like here they are. They're right here. There's like a tantalizingness to be able to have an impact on something. And you can have an impact on something that is so close to you, but just not quite it from your perspective. And I think that that uh, is, again, another kind of distraction. Because quite frankly, we need everybody 
who's interested in doing work, whether it's like radical or just progressive or whatever, however we want to term it, to all of us, we need to be doing that work wherever we're comfortable doing that work. That's like really important. And so for me, like the type of organizing that I do in this city, it's like, uh, can I work with you? Like, are you wanting to do something with me? Or, oh, no, you're not. You want to call me out for something? That's cool, too. Uh, goodbye. Like, I, I will go work with the next person. Because I think, like, we're not going to agree on everything all the time with all of the different groups. That's why we're kind of in different groups. And maybe that meet, gives us an opportunity to have an argument and figure out what the thing is that we can come together on or, or to change my mind or to change your mind or whatever it is. Um, but in, if we can't do that, perhaps there's something that we can agree on. Like if we, you know, the, the larger principles of things that we're fighting for, if we can agree on those things, like, well, okay, great. Will you work with me? No, you hate me? Okay, great. Well, then I won't work with you. Oh, yes, you think that it's important enough to work on this? Then great, let's come together for the time period that we can come together and we'll peace out when it makes sense to peace out. Are we going to get applause between every question? We don't have to do that. Uh, hi. Hey. <laughs> uh, first of all, uh, it's an incredible honor to be here. So I just want to say that first. Um, but um, my name is Evan. Um, I'm the one that caricatured you guys. Oh, it was so good. <laughs> oh, my God. Thank you. It, it was so fun. I actually did it a while ago, and then I had a great excuse to post it. So, oh. uh, so glad you guys are in Toronto. Um, so, my question um, is: Lately, um, I have been getting more and more involved in doing more and more, um, and there is something that comes with that, and I think to me is is fear, and I've been dealing a lot with that. For okay, my sleeve is stuck. I'm trans, <laughs> so uh, you know there was recent stuff about that. Um, but after that, there's other things that I've attended that my friends couldn't be tagged um, in a Facebook post. So there's very real consequences, and uh, the the danger and fear is very real, um, especially for certain individuals and. I think a lot of people want to be allies. Um, I think a lot of people want unity and want real conversations, real communication. And I don't think that's always easy. It's like, I think fear lives there as well, where it's like, how do I have that conversation? I really want to help, but how do I have that conversation? So um, yeah, I, I, I wonder, the thing I think about is I think good leaders don't necessarily always want to do it, or they're afraid. Um, I would like to know how you guys deal with that. Okay, so I think that fear is actually like the primary identity of Ontarians. <laughs> and I think that there are people who have more and less reasons to be fearful, but regardless, everyone's afraid. Every single, every single group that I talk to, People admit to feeling fear, whether that's fear of getting fired, sticking their neck out, doing something moderately radical. And I think that that's just baked into the identity of this province, is that you are to live in fear all the time. Um, 
and there's, you know, as you as you as you rightly point out, there's there's times where being afraid is good. It's a defense mechanism, and it's like, whoa, I'm pushing the limit. I I gotta kind of pull myself back. But, you know, I was saying last night, I I I got to go to uh, so there's a Marxism conference that's on right now, which is like really shitty because they'd all be here if they weren't at the conference, which just like was bad timing. And I got to talk to someone. And he's from a small town in a different province. And he had messaged me once. And he's like, I'm really afraid when I go home that because of my politics and they know what I'm into, that I'm going to get beaten up. And I don't know how to deal with that fear. And I was like not super elegant. And I didn't really know what the issue was. And I was like, are they, what, they're going to kill you? Like, actually? And he's like, no, <laughs> they're not. And we kind of left it at that. And so last night, he comes up to me at the bar, and he's like, I messaged you years ago. This is what you said to me. And, and it was so helpful, actually. And I was like, well, I didn't know what you were dealing with, and that was just like how I deal with it. So I just was letting you know how I dealt with it, and so thank God it was like useful, right? And he said, where did you come up with that? And I said, well, when I was, when I was you know, 20, and I'm at the student union, and white supremacists are literally calling my phone saying, we're going to kill you. I lived in total fear for about three days, like total fear. And the university's like response was, well, Nora, if they come after you, like when you're running, you can take off your shoe and throw it at a window and break the window to make a lot of noise. Literally was the advice. And I was like, what? what? <laughs> I was like, TMU, way to go. Like, are you people fucked? Like, how am I supposed to run and take my shoe off at the same time, <laughs> right? And why would I hit a window and not the guy chasing me, right? <laughs> so anyway, so I'm living in fear, and, uh, and I'm walking to school one morning, and I'm changing my path, because that was another piece of advice they gave me. Don't go the same way. They'll, they'll find you. And a giant branch falls from the sky and almost kills me three feet from where I'm walking. And I was like, okay, Mr. Tree. Like, I got the message. Life is precarious. Like, we're all like two minutes away from getting hit by cars all the time, right? So for me, it's like, okay, what, what am I afraid of? Like, you know, is there financial security that I need to take into consideration? Yes, okay, or no. No means great, you can do whatever you want. Yes, I have to be very careful. If it's personal security, what, what is it? Like, is it my activism that's getting like me afraid or making, or is it my profile? Or is it just that it's unknown? And we don't know how people are going to react. Because I think especially with the trans movement right now, there are so many questions from people who have no contact at all with the movement and with trans issues and wondering, what does, what's going on? I don't know. I'm, I'm, I don't get this stuff, right? When I was a kid, there was only girls and boys, right? It's like, okay. Uh, how do we reach them? Right, and, and that's not necessarily the movements, like move, movements are usually doing self-preservation, right? And that's totally fine. But getting out of these spaces and actually talking to people and, and, and doing that education work, I think goes a long way with the fear. Because like to, to give you another example, you know, I was at the conservative convention. It's a place where I should be afraid, actually, right? There's a lot of fucking people who hate me. And I'm interviewing people and uh, I'm asking about their politics, and they're like, well, what are your politics? And I was like, well, I'm a socialist, right? And it's just to have the practice of someone being like, a socialist, what the fuck is a socialist, right? <laughs> I was like, well, sir, let me tell you. And it's, it actually was good, because it wasn't that scary, because at the end of the day, the guy's just like completely 
fucking doesn't, like he thinks socialism is Justin Trudeau, right? It's like, okay, we have a conversation. That's nuts. That's not how it works, right? So it's about practicing and pushing those boundaries and doing what you can. But at the end of the day, the most important thing is to never do anything alone, ever. Never do it alone. And it's not because someone might kill you. Maybe they will. But it's because it's so much better to be with people. It feels so much better. You have collective experience. Sandy certainly has got a lot of experience with like very scary stuff. And I know that you got through it because you had people around you. Yeah, I would say uh, like there, there are certain ways that I've, I've gotten this question before and have an- I usually answer it in a particular way. I'm going to try something different this time, but I haven't like really thought it through. So like it, it, I could like end up in a knot. But what it made me think of when you when you were mentioning it just now is like our imaginations are usually way worse than reality. And we like there's. No, I'm just going to go into the the stuff that I usually say, but I'm going to put some new things, jazz it up. <laughs> there's the, like there's this like hump that we all have, like it's like really hard to like get past this hump of doing something where it feels like I'm not the one to do this thing. I can't do it. And that's like how the fear manifests, whether that's like meeting someone new who's like, "Oh my god, Nora looks so cool. I would love to meet her and be her friend." And can I say hello? And oh, I don't know. You I'm can. just going to go home instead or like the hump of like uh can i you know get a couple of my friends together and try to force the ndp to do a thing (laughs) you know like whether it's it's that hump or or like a much smaller hump like there's there's something like within us that like makes us imagine all of the things that could possibly go wrong if this doesn't end up the way that we want it to, and uh, our imaginations are really, 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 really good. Really, really good at stopping us from, from doing the thing that we want to do. It is not necessarily easy to get over that hump, but it is certainly easier when you have more people around you. And it's a trained thing. You, like, you, Nora and I are, like, addicted to the hump now. We're just like, ah, this is awkward. Let's do it. <laughs> this is fun, <laughs> you know? To be awkward is fun. Um, because once you kind of train yourself to do it, um, you will notice You will notice the feeling within you. You will notice it, and you will want to you will want to attack it because it's so false. It's like, it's really our imaginations are amazing. And we can put that imagination to work, in all sorts of different ways. It can stop us from taking action or it can get us to make the action that we take way more robust because we're imagining all of the terrible shit that can happen to us as a result of doing that action. Like in 2016, when we stopped the Pride Parade, BLM, like, oh, thanks. Thanks. And when we did that, it was we were really <laughs> very nervous about it because it was the first uh, time that the prime minister was going to be at the Pride Parade and the streets, uh, Young Street was like lined with uh, snipers on the roofs. And, and we had like all sorts of arguments and frustrations about like, are we really going to use these smoke bombs? Like, that's probably a bad idea. They're going to shoot us. Well, if we use pink smoke bombs, they're not going to shoot us. Like, it's pink. <laughs> I can't think that that's a real bomb. We'll just we won't use the black ones. <laughs> like, uh, and like, but but more seriously, thinking about okay, how can we mitigate this? What do we need to set up in order to be as safe as possible? Knowing that maybe people will throw things at us, knowing that maybe people will you know try to 
yell at us, make us feel really uncomfortable. It will, it's going to be hard. How can we get as many people around us and as many people stationed in the places that we need them to be stationed in, in order to mitigate that fear? So the fear can tell you this is not possible and we should not do this. That is an option from the fear. Or the fear can educate you as to all the things that you need to do to feel as comfortable as possible doing the thing and getting over the hump. Thank you so much. I got everything I needed. Oh, good. Great. <laughs> and also the pink smoke was like literally the right call. Photos were so good. I, I need to tell you that the, uh, that argument would like lasted until that very day to the point where one of the people that I was organizing with hid the smoke bombs that day uh, so that it wouldn't happen because they were so afraid. And I was like, I will find the smoke bombs. And I found the smoke bombs. And it was like, some of us were into it, some of us weren't. And uh, you all know who won. <laughs> the question is about uh, Barrie, Ontario, and their bylaw that that made it illegal to give unhoused people the supplies if it was done on public property, right? I think that this is such a good example of how far from humane our mainstream politics have gotten, you know? And, 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 and it's also a very uniquely Ontario thing. Every city and town has its own issue, but Ontario as an indust- former industrial heartland in post-industrialness, you know, cities were, like, cities everywhere from, you know, St. Catharines to Barrie to Peterborough to Sudbury to whatever, they were built to be these hubs of commerce with train stations and armories and, and businesses and, you know, whatever. I mean, Barrie, maybe not so much, because, <laughs> you know, sorry, everybody oh. from Barrie, Ontario. <laughs> but, you know, in the, in the decline of industrialism like people have been so so ravaged at the same time that housing speculation has gone through the roof right so like the idea that finding an apartment in london ontario is as expensive and as impossible as it is and you see the destitution and you see the desperation and you see people you know i was i was leaving london one morning like very early for a flight and i saw like three people with a fire on the sidewalk to just keep warm fire on the sidewalk right like that's desperate. And municipal, but one of the things that's very hidden in Ontario is the control the Conservative Party has over municipal politics. Um, very direct control. I have a friend whose like, life was destroyed by this control because there was a conspiracy to get rid of her because she was a progressive city councillor. And we don't have local journalism to actually write about this stuff. So municipalities think that they can get away with it, and sometimes they can. So I think, you know, when it comes to fighting bylaws number one the good news is it's super easy because these people are actually mostly cowards like everyone else because that whole fear thing in Ontario is so strong and you can figure out where they live and you can put a tent on their front lawn you know I mean like just like something like oh here we're gonna move in on your front lawn what do you think of that you know Um, but it takes again it takes mobilizing at the grassroots level within communities and I was in Peterborough last week, and I, and I realized that even at events called for um, an issue, so I was at a childcare event, people had never met. They didn't know each other. They didn't know what work they were doing. They didn't even know what the organization was that brought them together. And the organizers didn't think of, like, the kindergarten level, okay, kids, tell us your name. 
who are you? Like, just let's meet each other, right? And so that's really important to be able to fight against these policies because um, cause it's, cause it's disgust, like, so disgusting. It's horrific. Um, and, uh, and I haven't actually followed up on how the activism is going, so that, um, I have to find that out. <laughs> Thank you so much for your question. Uh, I'm noting the time and I'm noting the the length of the speakers list. Ooh. So, how do you feel about two questions at a time? Great. Okay, so we're gonna take the next two questions uh, and then we'll try to answer them. Yeah, they have the Blair Witch Project tonight, so we have to get out. <laughs> Unless you stay for that, which I'm sure they'll be very happy that you would stay. <laughs> Hi, um, my name is Francesca. Um, I'm also happy if just one of you wants to answer if, if it saves time. Um, my question is more about um, this idea around like the statement as opposed to the activism part. Um, throughout the last week and plus, I've been sort of, I think, digesting the news in Israel and Palestine. And in a way, like there are a lot of obvious parallels for me about indigenous sovereignty here in quote, Canada, unquote. Um, and Sandy, what you were saying about um, saying something is not doing something really resonated with me. And I think since 2015, we have seen a lot of saying something here mm -hmm. in terms of truth and reconciliation, in terms of every child matters, missing and murdered Indigenous women, etc. Um, and so it really resonates, and I think that that's true, but I also wonder, I think fear came up a lot tonight, and, you know, as was mentioned, people are being arrested in Berlin for saying things that are pro-Palestine. Um, there are versions of that that are kind of happening here. I was on the streetcar the other day talking to my partner on the phone, and I had this moment where I was like, oh, shit, should I be talking about this in public? And that was a very first experience for me. And so I wonder if in a context where there is like a tremendous amount of fear mongering, if the statement does kind of have like an added value and if it does kind of become action or if there's just anything that we can do to like visualize that kind of side of what is happening because my feeling this week has been that like the, I'm gonna say this very frankly, but the like pro-Israeli side of this argument is basically saying shut the fuck up mm -hmm. to anybody who is trying to express solidarity with Palestinians. And so I'm kind of at like a knot with that at the moment. Okay, so as we get the second question, I'm gonna take out my phone and write down some of my thoughts. I'm no, not, just, not. answer and then I'll take the next question. No, what? Okay, no, fine. <laughs> <laughs> Let me write down some thoughts and I'm not not listening, I'm just like, Responding, Multi, so. Multitasking, that's Yeah, cool. exactly. I'm David, I'm an Atarian, and uh, I'm afraid. I've been afraid for a long time. Um, but I want to say that I'm more afraid of what happens if we don't take action. By the way, Steph and I, total fans of the pod, we were down from London just for this today. Um, um, I, I was very afraid when an IDF Marine pointed a machine gun at me with a, um, those laser pointers on my chest. I was with the Freedom Flotilla at the time. I ended up in a jail and deported back to Canada. It turns out white people are treated really well in prison in Israel. Uh, they're scary, it's very scary, but we, we ended up back here in one piece. It's not like Turkish and Turkish American people who get shot dead. Um, I'm still with the Freedom Flotilla Coalition a dozen years later. We're sailing again, folks. So if you're ready to be afraid, uh, but take action anyway, CanadaBoatGaza.org or CanadaBoatGaza. Sorry, can you explain what that is? Canada what do you do? Uh, we sail boats against the blockade, and we put ourselves and our friends and 
people from different places online, uh, on board against the blockade. These are very small boats. There's not room for all of us on board, trust me. There is room for all of you on board the movement against the blockade of Gaza because these little boats are floating platforms in the Eastern Mediterranean, um, which are actually platforms to speak in our communities. And it's taken me to places in so-called Canada that I'd never been to before to talk to people about the blockade of Gaza and the occupation of Palestine. Some of those people went on to an NDP convention, and we've been pooping on the NDP conventions now, but in 2018, some of those people passed a resolution for a two-way arms embargo and a ban on settlement goods. So it does eventually pay off. I spoke to one of those people, and she said, I heard you in 2012 speak to my union stewards council. 2018, tell me what to do for Palestine at convention. So these things pay off in ways that we don't expect years later. So my question is, people have talked about unity. My experience in, I mainly work when I'm with the flotilla in places like Spain and Italy and France, very divisive, very divided. Palestine is a unifying issue. So I want to get past this bullshit idea that Palestine is a divisive issue. Palestine divides those of us who are for justice and those of us who are for an unjust status quo. But on the left, it unifies, it unifies uh, I've seen like Italian communists and anarchists and socialists who've hated each other since before Mussolini. They come together in a port to support a boat that's going to oppose the blockade of Gaza. Later, they get back to hating each other. But in that day, <laughs> in that day, they support Palestine together. Same with socialist action and fight back. Yeah, same. Yeah. They get together. So it's not a divisive issue for our people. It divides us from the people who are for the status quo. But it's a uniting issue for us. That's right. And in terms of getting to action beyond words, I want to know who, uh, whether Sandy or Nora is going to get on a boat with us next year. <laughs> or anybody else in the room. You don't have to answer now. You can write to us later. <laughs> Uh, okay, so lots of thoughts. The statement stuff. Okay, here's some of the stuff that I wrote down. The statements help, for sure, in certain contexts, absolutely. What I am, like, wanting to struggle against is the statement, first of all, is us looking at politicians and being like, man, you said something. You're so great. <laughs> well, thank you for saying something. It's like, what? Like, I was just like so annoyed at myself for thinking that afterwards. You know, like, like really? Like, these are people who have way more power than you, like, who are literally imbued with power, and you're just gonna be like, yes, they said something. Like, we are in dire straits if that's like what we think is like commendable. Um, but also, what I want to struggle against is us thinking that the statement is the statement is the first thing that we think about the only thing that we think about, and we think that we've done the job once the statement is out, right? Like, I, I also want us to, like, the fear. The fear stuff is so, it's hard to, like, explain unless you've, like, kind of gone through the fear of something. Like, referencing again 2016, the Pride Parade, like, it was scary, yeah. And then, like, you know, like, some of our worst nightmares came true. I couldn't use the subway for a while because people would recognize me. I like like I went out for dinner once with my cousin and like someone came up to me and like started yelling at me. And you know, I was being interviewed at one point uh by a black 
journalist on the street, on Church Street. It's like, why do we have to go to Church Street? This is like such, like the most dangerous street right now for me. Um, and, uh, you know, someone attacked the journalist because she thought that the, the journalist was the, or he, sorry, the he thought that the journalist was the, the BLM activist and not me, and like literally attacked her in front of me. And she was like, what is happening? And I was like, yeah, that's life right now. And I say all that to say that it wasn't that bad. Like it feels like it's gonna be really, really bad. And then you like, you sit and you, f you try to figure out like, okay, there are certain parts of the city, certain things that I can't do. Like how can we mitigate this sort of stuff? Like unions actually paid for our transportation for a while, like paid for like, it, which is really great. It's like another way to organize like union unions, um, you know, and we didn't make it a big thing. It wasn't like, you know, you must support these people for saying this stuff because we didn't want to detract from the actual issue, which is something that really happens a lot today. Like it becomes about the people and what they've said or whatever. It's like, we want people to keep talking about the issue. I don't want to put out there like, I can't use this subway anymore because it's not the issue that I'm focused on actually but can we what sort of organizing can we do in the background that not everybody needs to see in order to make sure that you know like I can get to work in the morning and unions um, uh, you know like organized cars for us for a month to, to take us to work and to make sure that we were okay and that was it it was like okay, this is scary. Oh God, some weirdo is yelling at me at a restaurant. Oh, unions are able to, to do this. That's done. It's over now. I can continue doing my work. It's not as bad as we think. It's like, it's, it, and I know like saying that you're like, man, but it would really suck for my job or whatever. Like I really thought so too, actually. And it's, it's again, it's like really hard to explain unless you allow yourself to, to get a taste of it. We have become really used to avoiding consequence for anything because that's another thing that the internet does. You can do your thing, you can drop the, the, the whatever you're saying and then retreat to your bubble, mute everyone you don't want to see, block everyone that you really don't want to see, and then you know it's over. You don't, there's no consequence to whatever. And even if there is, there's if there's like people who are like you know maybe attacking you online, like Nora has had multiple times. And you're today, just like, today, <laughs> and you just are like, okay, fuck it, like I'm going to dinner. It's over, whatever. But the thing is, there is consequence to the stuff that we say, even if we're right. Like, even if the things that we're saying is justified, like, they're, especially, yeah, if the things that we're saying is justified, and we, like, that's part of it. That's part of it is kind of enduring that. And saying, like, you know, like, Nora, I believe genocide is bad. And Nora's like, well, actually, fuck you, because that means this. And I'm like, do you think that? Like, I need to be able to respond back. Why is it that I can't say something back? If I'm talking on the subway or a, uh, in a cafe, and again, like, you know, like, a part of this, like, this advice that I'm giving comes with, like, an understanding that we all take different kinds of risk. So, okay, like, take from this answer what works for you. But if you're, like, sitting in a cafe and then you get that feeling of, like, oh, my God, I'm kind of, I'm a bit nervous. Like, should I be saying this? Like, think, like what is the worst that is going to happen? Someone might come up to you and be like, actually, fuck you. Is that a cost you're willing to pay to, to have the conversations that you need to have 
in order to spread like the education, the awareness, the shift in mindset that we need to actually have in order to have an impact on the genocide that's happening? Like, maybe, yeah. Maybe, yeah. Like, you know, for me, like, it's BLM work. Like, literally, I mean, this morning, people were, you know, at, at the event that we were talking at, like, there, were, there was apparently some guy who was just like, you invited a BLM activist? That's, like, the worst thing ever. Like, they're, like, the worst people ever. Like, they're really, really bad, whatever. Cops are great. I don't know. And they were, like, really wanting to protect, to protect me from that. I'm like, no, dude, I deal with this all the time. I deal with this all the time. It's, like... I don't know, maybe it's like a function of like doing this sort of work that I do that like people are just like, you don't deserve to exist. And you're like, yeah, okay, fuck you too. I'm going to continue to say like, my life matters. That's okay. Well, and especially I think white people get really worried about this, like as if we're the ones most at risk. <laughs> we're not. We're, we're fucking not. You know, and if you, like, this was always a big issue around, like, face coverings, which, of course, that discussion has completely changed now as face coverings mean something different than they did four years ago. But there was always this, like, well, I need to cover my face because I'm afraid. And it's like, isn't that nice that we as white people get to put on and put off our disguise? Right? And I think that, like, at the end of the day, when you're in like the structural majority, the structural power majority, the way that you look, and of course not all white people, like of course there's other kinds of minority identities that are easily identified. And I mean in Quebec City, I mean anarchists got put in hospital from actual fascists. So like, you know, I'm not painting everything with one brush. But for Christ's sakes, like white people, fuck. <laughs> like you know, we, we get into spaces easier. You put on a suit and tie and you look like you're supposed to be there, we get into spaces easier. And we have, to, we have to swallow the fear that we have, regardless of if the fear is legitimate, regardless if the fear is completely irrational and we can't get a hold of it, we gotta swallow it because like, this, like the, the stakes are too high. In, in Canada, for indigenous people, the stakes are too fucking high for us to not take radical action in solidarity. And for black people in Canada, the stakes are too fucking high for us to be like, oh my God, I'm so afraid. It's like, you're afraid of what? And honestly, if, if like some fascist comes to you and is like, fuck you, like that's a barometer for, I'm doing the right that's thing. Sweet. You want that. <laughs> it's good. That's fucking it's sweet. Like, it's like, yes, you hate me. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I'm doing good. <laughs> the world is where it should be. <laughs> yeah, the last thing I'll say, David, uh, am I going to go on the Freedom Flotilla? Uh, you got to pass that one by... Uh, my partner. <laughs> uh, but if you want to bring an independent Jewish Voices member, I'm sure he would love to go, and I would definitely allow him to go. I mean, send me more details. Like, <laughs> let's figure it out. Uh, hi, my name is Archie. I work for a community health center. Um, been around the OPS community since it kind of started. I'm noticing that fear is a really big topic that we're on today. Everybody seems to be spun on fear. And that's valid. I, like, I, I don't disagree with that. Um, Evan earlier brought up the, um, actually, I don't know if you brought up the whole counter-protest that happened at Queens Park recently. And, yeah, like the parental rights nonsense, and like that. I've been like to most rallies, and like I've had pepper spray. I've 
seen the ridiculousness of the Vancouver hockey riots, which was uniquely Canadian, but also stupid. Um, which is also uniquely Canadian. <laughs> <laughs> um, and uh, I, I think that parental rights, um, that rally was actually the first time I did feel fear, like despite you know having no pepper spray. That was a truly like defining moment in my life where I was like, what the fuck is going on with our country? And like, how is this happening now after we've like gone so far? Like to see parents showing up with their children with spewing such hateful vitriol. And it really makes you think like, like is this, and it wasn't a happy, I don't think it concluded well. Like me and my friends kind of just like walked away and we're just like, I'm gonna stop listening to this child scream this nonsense. You know, there's a hundred kids there. It's like it's only it's a thing of numbers, right? Like, ten percent of these kids are standing there terrified, shitless, that their parents are gonna, you know, do whatever. Um, what I struggle with right now, and this goes across, you know, like this is so many issues um, that we deal with now, um, is I've noticed like a lack of, from my perspective, anyways, I'm like from starting an OPS and then like watching it flourish for like two minutes and then just seeing it go completely stagnant. And um, I've, I've noticed that like a lot of these things that we're dealing with right now, it, we have to kind of take accountability on it because it's like, it's like, you know, that parental rights march, it, what happened there was like, we stopped fighting after we gained, after we, we fought for gay marriage, we fought, for trans rights, and it's like, and then we just stopped. And now these things are just blowing out of control, and it's allowing the right to have this, like, platform to, like, fuck with us. And, like, there's a million other things that you talk about that, like, it's just, like, people aren't as active. And I would really like to see that, um, like, happen. I don't, I don't, I don't know how. Like, I, 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 I try to do things, like, on a, like, a, High level, but I guess I don't know. I'm seeing a lot of lack of leadership, and I would love to to find that again. Yeah. To like regain that passion, and to get pepper sprayed in the face. Fuck it, like it's. <laughs> to be fighting cops and not children. I love that. I love that. I think that's such a nice thought. Um, I don't know if that was actually a question. I think I'm just making a statement that. We'll respond. Okay. okay. Yeah. Right. We'll take a second question, and then we'll talk them both at the same time. Hi, I'm May. Um, I had the opportunity and great privilege of organizing around one of the more progressive by-election candidates in Toronto. And we had a whole lot of people come up to say, I have never organized or done anything like this in my life. And I'm going to come out and try to get people to vote for this person. And so it was great. People came out and they said, wow, it's actually really easy to talk to people. Um, and then the election was over. <laughs> so all of, this, all of this enthusiasm and this excitement, um, we managed to keep like 10 people together, but that is a small fraction of the people who, whose eyes lit up when you mentioned who, which candidate you were supporting. So I feel like it is so tragic and we can't wait for the next election to organize. So what should we be doing? Because I've never done this before either. Um, I have no idea what I'm supposed to do. <laughs> yeah. 
Oh my God. Yes. Great question. <laughs> I love that question. Uh, okay. So often um, when I was younger and organizing in the city, there was always this tension between like, do we organize for electoral politics? Do we not? Are elections bullshit or are they useful? Whatever. My thought was always like organize around elections, not because I believe that when the person wins, we're going to win all the things and it's going to be whatever, but it's an opportunity that like, you just don't get where like everyone is like this is a moment where we could be involved in a thing and it's like you know more people are willing to try it because it's just like you know part of uh the way that the structure works and you're you're able to get people to taste organizing for the first time so that is like one of the very useful things about electoral politics regardless of how you feel about the actual like electorate or whatever very very useful and i'm glad you got to experience that now 10 people remaining afterwards is actually excellent amazing actually. like literally amazing <laughs> <laughs> like i can't tell you like the the secret sauce to activism and changing the world and advocacy and all of that stuff is it takes literally no one. It takes very few people to shift the entire world, to take over a city, to take over a province, to get the country's attention. It takes very little people. It was about half of those people who conceived of stopping pride. People still talk about that shit, okay? I'm telling you, like, five people in a room can have very massive impact. So if you've got 10, you're doing great. You're doing great. That that hump that you have gotten over is actually really easy to talk to people. I had that moment too. I like mo many people do. It's like it feels like it's really really difficult to be like, "Hey, can I talk to you for a second about um a flotilla like it's it's it feels really like it like it's going to be really hard and like difficult to talk about but you train that you you do that a few times and then it starts to become like okay this is just what I do and you get you get one out of 10 people maybe one out of 25 maybe one out of 50 but you get those people that's how people get elected like we know that this is something that works because people literally do it every four years or you know, if it's a minority government and there's not a sucking and blowing thing happening, maybe less. <laughs> um, we know that it works. It works for um, for the politics of the ground as well and for shifting things in between. So you just got to do the same thing. Uh, now to the other question, I I like which wasn't a question but more of a statement. The, the thing that I like sort of wrote down here is it's like... Um, you don't know how? No one knows how. No one knows how. We haven't had a revolution yet. <laughs> no one knows how. And that means, like, actually the ability, like, our, um, like, the, the, the range of things that we can do is endless. You can be as creative as you want. It's kind of like, you can, you can see it as, like, a really depressing thing. It's like, no one knows how to, to beat it all. Or you could be like, no one's figured it out yet, and it might be in my delusional mind. <laughs> and I'm willing to try all of the things, like, and kind of make it fun to, to try, like try fun things that seem out of um, the, the realm of possibility. Be a little bit daring about it. Like, like, what do you want to be a part of? What would be fun to do and to read about later? Like maybe, maybe that's the way that we approach it because what I will say that is like really depressing is that like the imagination of the other side 
is really good right now. They've got a great imagination. They have imagined the, a world where you fight kids instead of fighting cops. And they made it real. That is that came out of somebody's brain. It's just it's not like natural. None of that's that's parental rights. Like like if you think about that for a little bit, it's like that's outrageous. This doesn't make any sense. Should be like responsibilities and like a lot of them. <laughs> you know, like it, it it it's outrageous. But someone imagined that it could be different and made it real. You can imagine the opposite. Like that guy who's like the the dude who like made affirmative action mean something different than it's supposed to mean. Like that's a one dude who's like fighting for it like forever. Like 30 years. At first, the first 10 years, people are laughing at him. Then he's like, ha, I won. You know, and he's doing it. I think also when you're when you're trying to figure out what to do in between elections, like if you've got people who've been turned on by municipal politics, that means that you've got people who are turned on by like a whole bunch of issues. And whether or not the person that you got elected needs support to push things forward, or there's issues in your riding or your, your ward that people really care about, then pivot to those issues. You know, like I've been involved in election campaigns, uh, thankfully not that fucking many. And uh, the people that I know through those campaigns became the first people that I called when we were fighting the far right in Quebec City. Became the first people that I saw signing up to our tramway campaigns, you know? Uh, we are a bit lucky in that we have a political party that is a left-wing party in municipal politics. And so there's actually a whole bunch of shit to do in between elections there because they're just building their party. Um, but, you know, there are ways to continue to make sure people are, are, are turned on. You just have to know that a fever pitch of an election is very hard to replicate otherwise, and so don't expect that. It's a different rhythm, and that's totally fine. And that some people just like the thrill of getting someone elected, and it doesn't, it doesn't land the same way when you're fighting for better TTC service. And that's fine, too. So you get people in the room, and you're like, what are we going to fight for in this ward? What are we going to do? Are we going to push the person we got elected to do better stuff? Or are we going to help the person we got elected to fight Olivia Chow? for example, right? There's a, there actually is a lot of stuff, but you have to ask where people are at and see what they're excited and turned on by. Um, I think on the parental rights stuff, I mean, like, it, like there, it, is, it is fucking super, super shitty to see these kids out. And I know that a lot of white people have been very uh, struggling to understand how to interact with um, mostly not white opponents. We're very used to fighting our racist aunts and uncles. We're not so used to fighting people who are racialized, right? And I mean, I shouldn't say my, my aunts and uncles are actually all great. So <laughs> that's not my aunts and uncles. They're great. I think they listen to the podcast. <laughs> so I love you all. I love you all. Um, and, not, and of course, not to say everybody is racialized, but, it, but that's, that's a dynamic that I've seen from a lot of people. And then I, I've also heard that there's been white people who've been racist in their reactions to the homophobia. So what does that tell me? That tells me that there is not enough solidarity work being done between queer communities and Muslim communities, right? Which is silly, because if you do any solidarity work with Muslim communities, you know, any hijabis, you know, any, you know, really, like, the question of queer rights is, like, a given. Like, you, this, is, this is not taboo. Like, I've got no doubt in my mind that if I'm running a, a, a pro-trans rally in Quebec City, I, like, my Muslim brothers and sisters and comrades, I'm calling them, I'm like, you're going to be there. I'm not going to call them all, because I do a lot of work with some conservative folks. But I, I know, because I do that, that solidarity work, right? So um, this was specifically something that someone raised to me in Hamilton, and they were, they were really depressed over the state of it. And it's like, 
don't organize then on the question of trans rights or on questions of homophobia or transphobia. Organize on like racism and Islamophobia and have those connections and know people so that when shit hits the fan, you have conversational lines to talk to people and be like, where's this coming from? Uh, hi, my name's Christina. I'm gonna do this really quickly, but in relation to us talking about just the elections, et cetera, um, I've seen Norris tweets a lot about Pierre Polyever and how the NDP is absolutely flopping right now in terms of like engaging with the working class. Um, and I'm trying to figure out ways to ensure that he doesn't get elected because he's doing a really good job right now. Um, and I feel like there's a general apathy towards the NDP. So aside from the NDP, how can we do more grassroots um, organizing to ensure that Pierre Pauly ever doesn't get elected? Great question. All right. And we have one last, I think. Yes. Okay. Ask the last question. We'll wrap up. We're going to thank the house as well. And then, uh, yeah. Hi, I'm Sherry. And um, I actually, hello, hello. I actually just uh, would like you to do a, at least a little bit of the Mariah Carey song, please. <laughs> No, no, that's how it starts. No moment inside. lasting that you would always be mine. You want to be free, so I let you fly. But I know in my heart, baby, now love will never die. No, you'll always be a part of me. I'm part of you indefinitely. Don't you know you can't escape me? Ooh, darling, cause you'll always be my baby. And I linger on. Time's dead and I'm feeling the strong boy. I don't, don't you know you can't escape me? Ooh, darling, cause you'll always be my baby. Follow Pierre everywhere. Sorry, do you see what the right has done with Trudeau? They followed him everywhere and they made it, like they, 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 turned, like they changed the conversation on Trudeau in a way that actually doesn't make sense. Like the way that they talk about Trudeau, it's like, what? I, this doesn't jive with what's real. I don't understand. And they did that by following him everywhere and saying the same things over and over and over again until it stuck. And they documented it, they put it online, they put it on YouTube, they made sure that people interacted with it, and they just kept going. And they started it on day one of Justin Trudeau's term. And at first it was like, ha, hilarious, this is really dumb. And now it's like, wow, um, that's real now. It kind of reminds me actually of like the Reform Party and the Canadian Alliance. It was something that we used to laugh about, and now they are the Conservative Party of Canada. 
if you don't know that history, look into it. But it was like a, it was like funny, hilarious. These people are like really out to lunch, and now they run the Conservative Party. Same thing with the Republicans, the Tea Party. We used to laugh at them. LOL. This is really funny. Like that these people are are saying these things over and over, following everybody around, saying this stuff on TV. We laughed at them and laughed at them until it really wasn't funny anymore after a few years because the repetition, the consistency, the being there to try to convince somebody of something different than what was real. Um, we don't do that about reality. It's weird. I mean, because you feel like you don't have to do that about reality. You're like, look, reality is right there. You get, but it's not so simple. And I think we know that propaganda works really well and travels really quickly online. And so you kind of have to follow him everywhere. We do not do that. We don't do that, but we should. If anyone deserves to be followed, I mean, Trudeau is kind of like, we could follow him too, I guess. Because he sucks also, but in a different way. <laughs> but like, if anyone deserves to be followed, I mean, he, like right now, if the election was today, I have no doubt he's going to win. And that's really scary because he has a lot of really like terrible things that he wants to implement. So we should be following him everywhere. It's like one of the things to do. Like we can make fun of him online. It's really fun. It's easy. But we should do something, which could be following him around and making him feel very fucking uncomfortable everywhere that he goes. Yeah, like we were at, like being at the conservative convention, do you know who the only group was there to not protest, but like information picket and talk to every delegate? The Correctional Workers Union. Okay. They had very specific issues. They wanted more funding for, for jails because of working conditions or whatever. And they were present and they had a big mascot and a big costume looking like a police dog and people were fucking loving it. And they were the only ones there. And when we were talking to delegates about questions around trans issues, let's say, most delegates, when we asked the question, what do you think about these motions? Most delegates were like, this is stupid and it's a distraction. And they voted the way they did because they're also transphobic, but you can still have a conversation with them, right? There could have been protests there and there were not. So Sandy's right, we have to follow him around and we also have to recognize he's gonna get elected. He will get elected. I mean, that's just the pendulum is gonna do that at some point, maybe not the next election. So what is our contingency for when he is elected? And if we do the practice work now of following him around now and following Melissa Lanceman around now and following Mont Monty McNaughton, who's probably gonna go federal now, then we're practiced enough to do it when they're in power. And that's really, really important because, you know, doing all of the work to get him not to win means keeping Trudeau in power. And that's not tenable either. So we have to be extra parliamentary about this and fight like as if our lives depend on it because a lot of people's lives do depend on it. Thank you all.